Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tune in and listen to the Injured List Podcast, proud new member of Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Media Network, hosted by me, Brian Scott. I'm a licensed full-time physician assistant in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. I break down the latest in injury news regarding your favorite professional athletes each week throughout the year. I have all your major sports covered from the NFL, MLB, NHL, MLS, and MMA. There is not a sport or an injury that I will not cover. Get the most up-to-date info in easy-to-understand non-medical language so you can make the better decisions when placing your bets or setting your fantasy lineups each week. Check out my website at theinjuredlist.com where you can message me ideas for topics or questions and listen to previous episodes where I interview former athletes and healthcare professionals to talk about their experiences with sports injuries. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brian Scott, host of The Injured List, and thank you for joining me. Now, it's been a while since I've put out any um, material uh, podcasts in particular, and I do apologize. Uh, I've been very busy, uh, as you would imagine, during the NFL season, covering a myriad of injuries uh, throughout the league on a weekly basis. And, you know, we're heading into week four now, and it, it just gets busier and busier as the weeks go by. So, I've been doing a lot of uh, injury analysis and breakdowns for some of my partners over at Belly Up and uh, being a guest appearances on their shows, um, in particular, two very popular shows that we have on the network. Um, uh, MD's uh, Fantasy Football Show, uh, hosted by Dan Mader. You can find me on his show every Wednesday and Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where I will do breakdowns of the weekend uh, players uh, coming into the weekend uh, who are injured and there uh, may be some questions about their status uh, for fantasy purposes. And then on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am a guest on TSS Fantasy, uh, again, to do kind of a last-minute injury breakdown uh, for the guys over at TSS. And so um, that's probably the the closest to game time that you'll be able to get the most up-to-date injury info and um, great way to find me. And they're both um, on YouTube channels. 
So you can head over to their YouTube uh, channels to check those out. They are uh, listed on the Belly Up uh, network, so you can check out the Belly Up website and find some of their information as well. And um, I've also been doing some articles uh, for Belly Up as well on their fantasy website. Working with Andrew Leduc, we're putting out a weekly article titled Inside the Medical Tent. Well, he will ask questions and I will answer um, uh, regarding some of the injured players out there. And then he'll give some fantasy feedback based on my answers um, about their injuries. So that's an interesting little article we're doing on a weekly basis. And then I've been trying to get out a, a monthly article as well, just kind of doing some general topics uh, centered around sports medicine and other things. So I got another one planning on releasing here soon. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that too. And you can also find that on the Belly Up Fantasy uh, website. Uh, special thank you to the sponsors of the show, uh, in particular SeatGeek who uh, is gracious enough to offer my listeners a discount for a first-time purchase on tickets to any sporting or any events, not even sports, um, that you are interested in attending. And um, you'll get some more information on that a little later. Uh, Fanatics, um, I'm a proud brand ambassador for them as well, and um, I will have some discount link in the uh, episode um, information. Also, Belly Up Media, as I've already mentioned, and Belly Up Fantasy for um, you know their excellent collaboration and working with a good group of guys over there. So don't forget to check out that website periodically for those articles I mentioned. And uh, there's a ton of other uh, creators and writers out there on the website as well that do a ton of great work and some really interesting uh, input and uh, perspectives on all things uh, centered around all sports, not just uh, football, of course. Now... Um, let's get into today's topic, which is the back injury, supposedly, that uh, Miami Dolphin quarterback Tua Tungavailoa sustained over the weekend, which has led to some controversy. And um, uh, I'm no stranger to this when it comes to controversy surrounding concussions and players returning back to sport. It's something I've dealt with throughout my career, um, not only now that I work in orthopedic offices and do surgeries, but also when I was an athletic trainer, um, having to work with collegiate and high school football players. It was always a challenge to make sure you stuck to the protocol and didn't let your um, personal uh, opinions get in the way and also didn't let any influence, outside influences from culture, co- coaches or athletes sway you in your medical decision-making process. And so that's kind of what we're going to get into a little bit here. Now, the mechanism of the injury in Tua's case was a direct impact of his head to the back of the ground. He was pushed by the defenseman. We've all seen the video. I don't need to replay it. Uh, After he let go of a pass, he was uh, shoved to the ground, fell backwards, landed on his uh, backside, and then his back of his head slammed down on the field, um, on the turf. And um, Right away, when he sat up, he kind of did one of these little head shakes. You can see him kind of grabbing at his helmet. He didn't appear to lose any consciousness. Not that you need to in order to have a concussion, because you do not. And um, got up, looked a little disoriented, perhaps, and then kind of stumbled his way toward where the huddle was going to be. Had to be helped by some of his linemen who noticed him struggling as his knees kind of buckled on him and almost gave out. He almost fell. He might have actually even went to a knee or put a hand down again uh, before the medical team finally came out to do their uh, assessment. And so uh, this is a good opportunity to review this assessment, which is public 
knowledge. It's up on the NFL uh, website, which I'll uh, show here. And this website is, um, like I said, publicly available. There's no passwords needed, no nothing needed. And if you look at this website and we scroll down, here we go. Okay, so overview of the injury. So how do, how do they define, define a sport concussion? Um, or sports-related concussion, which is what this SRC here um, in the, the paragraph uh, adjacent to me shows. And they basically define it as a, as a direct blow to the head, face mask, or elsewhere to the body with an impulsive force that's transmitted to the head. And obviously hitting the head on the back of the turf would fall under this category, right? I mean, it, it was pretty clear, I think, to even people who are not in the healthcare profession that he definitely had some... <laughs> some kind of uh, what we call bell ringing going on um, at the time of the injury. Now, typically a sport-related concussion can result in rapid onset of short-lived impairment of neurologic function that resolves spontaneously. However, and this is key, man, this is what really gets under my skin about his quick return is that, and this is true, I've seen this, some cases, signs and symptoms may evolve over a number of minutes to hours. And that's really important. You know, there are some major, major things that could be happening to the brain at this time, which, which could be potentially severe and even life-threatening. I've seen kids that several hours after the injury have symptoms that lingered long after the time of the impact to their head who ended up in the emergency room and were diagnosed with like subdural hematomas or other, you know, intracranial bleeds, like serious stuff. And so that's why this is not to be taken lightly and should be monitored very closely. And I can't still fathom how he was able to clear any of the protocol um, from a short period of time through the halftime, uh, still just kind of boggles my mind. Now, um, he also, you know, did exemplify uh, a short-lived impairment of neurological function. That's why his legs gave out from under him. That's why he almost fell. And uh, it was obvious. I mean, you could witness it. It was objective. There was nothing subjective about it. So, you know, I just, right off the gap, right off the bat, I, I just don't get it. Now, um, these physiologic changes can be acute and present clinically and they can reflect a functional disturbance rather than a structural disturbance. So you might not see bleeding from the head. You might not see any, you know, deformity to the skull, like things like that. You might not see any broken bones anywhere uh, else in the body, but uh, neuropathically you'll see changes, right? Confusion, disorientation, blurred vision. um, And some of that is subjective but you'll see them, you know, maybe their uh, eyes are rolled to the back of their head. They have a brief loss of consciousness. Maybe they have these gross motor instability moments is, uh, moments where, like Tua did, where he f- stumbled and fell and couldn't regain his balance. Another classic sign of this was a few years ago when Daniel Jones had a similar injury as he was trying to get into the end zone against the Cowboys and had a helmet-on-helmet collision. He tried to stand up and run back to the huddle and nearly face-planted uh, because his legs wouldn't, uh, weren't kind of working. So, I mean, it happens. Now, potential concussion signs, right? So you don't have to lose consciousness. Even though that is part of this here, it doesn't have to happen. He did not have that. He did not have a fencing posture. Um, He was slow to get up um, following the hit to the head on the back of the ground. Um, And that's technically secondary contact with the playing surface. So that's exactly what happened. Um, and then he had this too. He had motor coordination balance problems. He stumbled, he tripped, he fell. He had labored movements. 
Um, he he might have had a blank or v- vacant look. We couldn't really see very well, but I mean, he, he could have. He probably did. Whether or not he was disoriented, we don't know. It appeared that he was heading toward the right direction, going back to the huddle. I don't know if he was heading toward the correct sideline or not. Um, he might have been. Um, and we don't know this part because we don't know what the evaluation by the medical team was. You know, did he have any amnesia? Did he not remember events before the injury? Did he not remember events after the injury? Um, he was kind of clutching his head at one point uh, after he, he sat up, um, after hitting his head on the ground. Uh, we didn't see any visible facial injury with any of these things, but uh, it doesn't have to be pre- present. And so, you know, the next part of this is more subjective. These things are kind of things that they would have to gather during their sideline assessment, headaches, nausea, vomiting, um, any sensitivity to light or sound, disorientation, any visual disturbances of the ringing in the ears. Do they feel dizzy? Um, but, you know, then that's carried out usually in the medical tent. And then here is how we go to the um, – you scroll down through the protocol and you see all this stuff. I mean, it's very detailed. So game day decisions, right? So right when he's taken off the field, he's asked a bunch of questions by the medical team. Keep in mind, the medical team consists of a slew of people. It's not just one person. It's the athletic training staff, okay? It's the head team physician who does travel across state lines. They also have to have a a local physician, an emergency room physician that they're affiliated with who can also treat them, okay? There's also an independent or unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who is present. In fact, I think there's three of them at any time present at the game to assist with these uh, head injury evaluations and concussion protocol, okay? They're, they're available to assist the physicians, but they're also part of the evaluation to some degree. And everything that gets done during the concussion protocol is run through them so they know what's going on and they're part of the process. Don't forget, there's also a booth certified athletic trainer or what they call spotters. These are certified athletic trainers who are not affiliated with the teams. They are sometimes local to the area, though, to the stadium that they're assigned. Um, And they're up in the booth as spotters. They literally are watching the games from multiple locations throughout the stadium, watching the field of play, and looking for anybody who may be injured, not just concussions, but just injuries in general. But concussions are a big part of it. And they actually have the ability to radio down to the field to the officials directly and call an injury timeout and basically stop the game at any point if they feel that there is a player that's injured that hasn't been spotted or adequately assessed by the medical team on the sideline. And they can actually have that player removed from the game if they are concerned about the health and safety of that player in order for them to get evaluated. And it's a, it's a medical timeout, and it has happened. In fact, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but this did happen in a, late in the game to a pretty high-profile player, um, a receiver, I believe, and I can't remember which team off the top of my head, but it, you know, what happened toward, in a very close game toward the end of the game, and these guys, these spotters, have the ability to do that. Okay, so these are all the checks that are in place to make sure that guys don't prematurely get returned to a game or can at least be pulled out and evaluated if there is any concern about potential head injuries or any injuries for that matter. Now, once the player is evaluated, okay, 
um, they have some things that are automatically basically what they call no-go signs. So that's this paragraph here. If a player exhibits or reports any of the following signs or symptoms of a concussion, he must be removed immediately from the field of play and transported to the locker room. Okay? That's it. That's the first sentence. So Tua did. Tua had this. He had his, that gross motor instability. He was, that was observable. That was not subtle. He almost tripped. He almost fell. He stumbled trying to get up and walk. He shook his head. Okay? And the unaffiliated neurovascular consultant should have been involved in identifying this happened to him and involved in the sideline um, evaluation. And it should have been determined right at that point that he had a concussion and may not return to practice or play on the same day under any circumstances. Right? It says it right here. Now, uh, that's where I think the NFLPA is going to find an issue. And it has been reported that there is, in fact, an investigation that is going to be happening. The NFLPA announced that they're going to be doing an investigation into whether or not the concussion protocol was followed. And we're going to get into that right after this commercial break. From our sponsors, you're watching the Injured List Podcast. This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, share the podcast with your friends or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Now, back to the show. Special shout-out to today's episode to SeatGeek. We recently partnered with them to become a brand ambassador. What does that mean? Well, for you, it means you get a special discount when you make your first ticket purchase with SeatGeek. With my code, InjuredListPod, you will get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a ticket purchasing app that takes all the confusion out of buying tickets to your favorite sports, concert events, and more. They score each ticket on a scale of 1 to 10 to help you know if you're getting a good deal. Green is good, red is bad. My followers get $20 off their first ticket purchase using my code, InjuredListPod. Click on the link in the show notes and browse for your favorite events. Your next big night ever is waiting, and they have the tickets. All right, people. 
Um, let's get back to what we were talking about. So listen, why did the NFLPA decide to get involved? Well, you know, the NFL has gone through extreme lengths to try and solve the concussion issue, um, to try and help prevent against CTE, this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which has been associated with several high-profile NFL players who either committed uh, serious crimes or have had suicides in the last few years. And they've done a, a lot of work to try and prevent this from creating basically bad press and you know costing them fans, which in turn cost them money. And I'm sure part of it has also been about maintaining player health and safety, of course. You know, I don't take that away from them. So this is a big deal. Um, it's a big deal if, if this wasn't followed. And the NFLPA uh, has to watch out for the player's safety and health. And so they want to know and they want to make sure that there was no finagling of this protocol, that it was followed to a T in the best interest of their player. Um, so apparently this is going to take about a week or two to be completed. So we might not know anything just yet. In the meantime, Tua has been listed as questionable on the Dolphins injury report with a back injury, although they haven't given any specifics. Uh, all they said was that his back locked up on him, whatever that means. I don't know. Um, causing him to stumble and have all those symptoms that you saw on the field. And I can tell you, I have a tens unit hooked up to my back right now. I blew out my back two days ago and I did not have any of those symptoms. And clinically, those are not symptoms that are consistent with what you would see with a back injury. In fact, a lot of the times, people who have back injuries, especially acute, significant acute back injuries, are often incapacitated to the point where they can't even get up. And if they do, they're tight, they're stiff, they can't, they have a hard time walking. They have a hard time either straightening or flexing over, bending over. Um, you know, they're usually writhing in pain and they become very immobile very quickly. So a lot of the stuff he displayed on the field didn't, was not consistent with a spine or back injury. But, you know, this is where the Dolphins are right now. They have him listed as questionable and they're treating him for a back and he's expected to play this weekend. So where do they go from here, man? I, I don't think... You're, I don't think they can go back. I think they're heading down the road where they must play him and they must repeat that it is a back injury because they've already now gone down that road and sweared up and down that the concussion protocol was followed. And so anything that they say otherwise is going to look really, really bad for them and potentially result in some, some penalties, which I, I think we may see even after the NFLPA completes their investigation. Because... There's just no way. There's just no way he didn't have a concussion. Um, you know, so I, I think there's going to be significant ramifications. I think we're going to see, like, I, I feel as though will be that the NFLPA's investigation will lead to some type of fine or suspension, either to the coaching staff, to the somebody on the medical staff, um, which I hope not, because that would be really bad. Um, on the surface, it appears that they'll probably focus more on the subjective complaints that Tua was providing to the medical team because that's kind of hard to argue. I mean, if he's telling them, like, it's not my head, it's my back, I'm not confused. Um, and there are some objective tests that they can do to check for that stuff. The question is, did they? So, um, 
And if the objective stuff comes back clean, meaning he was able to pass any objective tests that were thrown his way, well then, subjectively, if he's saying that he's fine, then he, he's, he's fine. I mean, that's, that would be a tough thing to argue. Um, but, you know, judging by the video footage and the things that I've read to you right off of their website, I mean, right off the bat, he had a concussion. He displayed concussion symptoms. And those are objective. Those are not subjective. So, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to get around that. Um, the problem is, too, you know, if, if they did skirt around this concussion protocol, they're really jeopardizing his long-term health, and they put him at risk for more severe, serious uh, injury. Like I mentioned before, there are instances where people have been found to have significant head trauma several hours after a game where they were thought to have a concussion or maybe did have a concussion but never reported it or, you know, it was found to be negative and they were returned to play. So there are some serious ramifications that could have come of this. Let's hope, let's hope we don't end up in this position again. Um, there's, this is not something I think the NFL is going to take lightly. Uh, I think we will see something um, come out of this because of all the work that they put into preventing stuff like this from happening and protecting the players. So I, I'm curious as to what you guys think. I've, I've watched some of the other sports talk shows. I think everybody seems to be on the same page. Um, you know, there are some people that just can't fathom that the protocol wasn't followed, but I can very easily, based on my experiences, see where somebody in a position of power maybe had thrown their weight around a little bit, so to speak, to kind of shift the momentum in their direction and get the outcome they wanted. Um, the, and I've seen situations where the players are very motivated to stay in the game and will tell you what you want to hear so that they don't have to miss any action. And, you know, that's always been a problem um, with the concussion uh, treatments, especially back in the past before a lot of the current protocols were in place. But there are objective things that can be done to prevent that. So I'm hoping it was followed. I hope there's nothing that comes of this. But in my gut, uh, it tells me something bad's going <laughs> to come out of this to some degree. So, well... That's all I wanted to talk with you guys about today. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, short little podcast. And again, um, please tune in wherever you listen to your podcasts. There's plenty of episodes I have that date back over the years that cover a lot of the topics you still hear about today. So if you have any questions or interest in any old sports injuries or any injuries that may be going on now, you'll probably find something very similar on my podcast websites, which you can find on my website at theinjuredlist.com or on Spreaker, or on the Belly Up Network. Um, so check those websites out if you're interested in hearing some old episodes. And don't forget to check out the SeatGeek app where you can get a $20 off discount your first purchase using my code InjuredListPod. And, um, you know, tonight I'll be on the MD's uh, Fantasy Football Show I'm going over the second half of Sunday's games, talking about injured players and what to expect and then um, I'll see you Sunday morning, 8 a.m. on TSS Fantasy. So as always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active.
Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 